Welcome to the Texas Wine Lover Podcast. This is episode number 17, where Jeremy talks to Jim and Karen Johnson of Alamosa Wine Cellars, who will be retiring this year and closing the winery. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another vlog and podcast from Texas Wine Lover. Uh, we're sitting here today hanging out with uh, Jim and Karen Johnson from Alamosa Wine Cellars. And the, uh, as the news has got out, they're, they're closing shop here pretty soon and going into retirement so they can enjoy being on the other side of the bar much more, I'm sure. And uh, we just wanted to kind of stop by and, and uh, have a little last hurrah and kind of talk about things. So, uh, guys, I, I think most people know who you are and kind of the history of what you've done is as far as, you know, especially Spanish variety pioneers in Texas. But... Let's talk a little bit more about, you know, looking back, looking back on what you've done. Uh, would you change things? Are you excited what you've done? And, and tell us a little bit about what you have pioneered. And also after that, looking forward as, as wine consumers, what, what do you guys want to see happen with the industry? So, so go ahead. Okay. Well, the, the surprising thing to me is that somebody hadn't done what we did before we did it. Um, of course, when you start in a new new area, you kind of grow what, what the market recognizes. Of course, that's Cabernet, Chardonnay, Merlot. And at some point, we, we've been told by some people that were early in the industry here that they recognize that those probably weren't the best grapes for Texas. And so when we came in, the, the climate was pretty much California varieties, and we were sort of... We were sort of new in that we did our first planting was Sangiovese and Viognier, and they were they were new even in California at the time. And people told us that nobody's ever going to buy a Texas Sangiovese. Uh, nobody just walks into Grapevine Market and says, "We're having land tonight. What have you got?" The nice Texas Sangiovese, <laughs> and so we did it anyway. Um, our our whole approach was that if you're going to grow grapes. In a climate like Texas Hill Country, you need to be looking at places in Europe that grow premium wines and kind of grow the stuff they grow. And to us, that said, Sangiovese, Viognier, Tempranillo, Syrah, uh, what have come to be known as Tex-Meds. So we did um, do some things that nobody had heard of, and um, that led to us having to do a lot of expl explanation every time we... Um, did a, an event, you know, a, a, a wine festival or whatever, you're spending your whole time explaining what these things are because they're used to going up and, you know, getting a Merlot and a Chardonnay. And uh, so we had to, to really come up with uh, ways of explaining what these things were and why they were, you know, they should be looked at as the new Texas varieties. And uh, so it was, I, I went away from many festivals you know, barely able to talk because you had to explain everything. So, not so today. Everybody knows what they are. So that's that's been a big good change. It's no longer what is that Tempranilla and Viognier yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Tempranillo and Viognier. We've we've come a long way with that. Right. And Everybody the knows the pronunciations now. We we used to say Merlot sells well because it's easy to pronounce and you can dance to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now people can say Tempranillo with a nice flair. Yeah. Uh, well, very nice. Yeah, and, and, and you guys first planted your Tempranillo in 98? 98. And the 99 El Guapo was the very first commercial Tempranillo in Texas. We had a whole 65 cases of it. 
And once we once we figured out how much we had and got ready to sell it, we went to our QuickBooks program and our first 25 customers were each offered two cases of it. That's how we allocated it. And as of today, there are five bottles left. <laughs> and it still tasted good, amazingly. Yeah. yeah we've tasted it we recently. We ported our library tasting last weekend. Uh, we we burned two-sevenths of the world's supply. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, everybody enjoyed it. Oh. It was tasting really good, and it, it's holding up well. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a... It's, it makes us feel really good, you know, that uh, that first vintage is so good. We, there's some subsequent vintages that are still tasting really good, too. So so we think there's good things to look forward to in Tempranillo. Yeah. Well, it also gives kind of, uh, it gives people an indication that Texas wine in a hot climate can also age well, too. Yes. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, you, you look at... If you look at the world of wine in Europe, uh, Tuscany thinks hot years are their better years. Uh, some of the some of the more memorable vintages in Bordeaux have actually been hot, dry years. So yeah, you can you can grow wine in a hot, dry climate and be successful. Most definitely, yeah. Put them in the ground, make them struggle, and <laughs> they do their thing in the bottle. Uh, so so going forward, you guys are you're stepping off the, the podium from the top of the hill country as winemakers and, and going into retirement soon. What do you want to see as a consumer? Uh, obviously, we've seen growth and a lot of change and a lot of quality emerging from Texas wine. What, what do you What are you looking to see in the future? There, there's a lot of young winemakers coming along behind us and people that give us every reason to be encouraged by the Texas wine industry, and we're, we're not going to be missed. I mean, there's there's still going to be a Texas wine industry. People are still going to be doing great things at Texas grapes, and we look forward to being consumers. Very good. I'll beg to differ with the miss part. We're all going to miss you. <laughs> but thanks for being humble. Uh, anything else you guys want to add to the readers? I know you guys are, are closing officially on the 6th. Yes. The 5th? Okay. Uh, the 6th. Okay. Uh, the, like Jim said, this, seeing these young families growing up in the, with the little children that are growing up in the winery, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of them are going to carry on. When we all started, it, we were all old at the time. Um, all of us had been had had other careers, um, and um, and most of us didn't have any kind of um, uh, transition to family plan because our kids were you know up there already in their own careers, and um, that you look across the board, there's only a very few that are able to to, um, to go forward with family. So these new ones, I think, are going to start the real traditions of, um, you know, wineries in the family. And, uh, and so we'll be able to look back at, well, not us probably, but somebody will be able to look back and, and, uh, and see that those, those, uh, long term held properties stay in it, you know, in some Texas family. And, uh, we think that's a, that's a good thing. Um, they're doing also some things we never, thought about doing you know um great varieties uh, these some of these uh new uh viticulture and, and um winemaking um uh processes that they're doing that is innovative and uh, good for the industry so so we've got we've got high hopes to be able to be tasting some really good texas wines for a long time 
Yeah. And my, my palate confirms the same. There's, there's a lot of great stuff out there and it just keeps happening. And every year it becomes more and more innovative. It seems. Yeah. Um, like, you know, Benny Branch with the flash detente. Absolutely. Flash detente, crowd maceration. Yeah. 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 Pe- people are thinking about the process yeah. and they're, they're, they're making improvements. They're incremental, and but the, that's, that's how you, that's how you get better. You do it incrementally. And the growers, you know, if, other than there being some really, you know, a lot of new people coming in and, and uh, some good talent coming in making wine, the growers know so much more about growing than they did early on. Uh, they've got, they understand that we're like what we're looking for in grapes. And um, so I think that's had as big a, an impact. I think the, the wineries are, are expecting more out of the growers than they did early on. And, um, um, and then the partnerships that I've seen develop between the winemakers and growers, the owners and growers, that it's, it's uh, I think that's all been very positive. And, and you can tell from the quality of the wines that you're tasting now that, um, that, that, that those things have been good. And I think they're just going to even, be better um, as they're trying new things and and making some good choices about things to grow and how to make them and how to keep them and you know those 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 that just all gives us a lot of a lot of hope for the future. Yeah, and the other thing you might point out is that you know the Europeans have had like three thousand years to figure <laughs> out what grows best where. We're Texans; we think we can figure that out in less than a hundred. <laughs> That's the and way we, we do can. things. <laughs> yeah, we've come leaps and bounds. Really. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I love to talk about too the farming in Texas. You know, people think about you know these old Italian families and my great great grandfather. You know, planted you know all these grapes back in the day, and it's like, well, these guys are going cotton and peanuts. Yeah. And now, in just the last couple of decades, it's been switching over to wine grapes. Sure. So it's, it's a crash course for a completely different style of farming, and I yeah. think it's coming along pretty well. Well, and, and our experience is the best grape growers in Texas are people that have farming experience. Uh, people that have been growing peanuts and cotton make generally make pretty good grape growers because they, they understand nature, they understand nutrient usage, oh, yeah. they understand soil properties, they understand, you know, climate, you know, the, the Growth mechanisms, plant morphology—they're they're tuned into that sort of thing, and they make really attentive grape growers. For those of us who, you know, had grown tomatoes or roses, you know, uh, it was a pretty steep learning curve. Uh, and so, to have those real actual farmers um, take on grapes—that that really has helped. And uh, and then the other thing is, I think. What grape growers and winemakers have been so good about um, being supportive of each other and sharing what they know and bringing the newbies along and um, because it, you know you don't want anybody to fail you want everybody to make good wine and, and, and be successful at, at grape growing so so all of those things um, uh, I think we saw a lot of that in the in the 90s that I'm not sure was there earlier on and um, and now it's just the norm I mean people are very forthcoming with with uh, discussion about what you do and how you do it and what you're spraying or you know what you're feeding or what you know and then the winemaking same way 
uh, that there's been a lot of sharing and a, and a lot of cooperation among the wineries because we're only going to be as strong, you know, as we all are together. So it's like, a chain, you know, that old thing. But, but it's still, um, I think that's made a big difference uh, as going, you know, looking back and seeing where the changes came and what were some of the things that really, you know, really got us going. And uh, can't, you have to always go back to, um, you know, we got some good stuff through the legislature. Susan Combs was so, um, uh, so active in helping us get some things going that allowed us to be, to open Texas up more to growing and making wine that, um, and I, I think there's still a long ways to go, but I think we've, we've been successful. We're going to be more, you know, successful, uh, and, you know, as, uh, time goes by in, uh, in, in really bringing the industry into its, its really good stride. So, uh, we, we got a lot of hope for the future. And I think one thing Susan comes recognized was this, this is agriculture. This is agritourism. This is small business. Um, and the economic growth of the Texas wine industry is good for Texas. Very good. Well, guys, I think we'll wrap things up here. And thanks for taking the time to, to kind of hang out and talk to us a little bit. And uh, we bid you farewell, and I hope you enjoy your, your travels and, and uh, be on the other side to be able to just consume we'll, wine now we'll and have some fun. We'll see you at the bar. <laughs> we definitely will. <laughs> right. Well, I guess that's a wrap, guys. Thanks if for tuning in. there's a wine event in town, we're probably going to be there. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, you see a lot of these two around uh, on the other side. Uh, and to wrap things up, guys, just to, just to confirm, I, I forgot to say the date earlier. So the last day of being open here is going to be September 6, 2015, right? Correct. And right now, just so all the readers and listeners know, a lot of great wines here uh uh-huh. still available and a lot of things at a discount kind of a retirement sale so some absolutely great great pricing so come yeah, on out yeah, come on out and grab some <laughs> and uh and and uh, hang out for a bit all right well thanks for tuning in to another uh vlog and podcast for texas wine lover and until next time cheers thanks for listening to the texas wine lover podcast If you would like to read the show notes and see the photos included in a larger size, check out the blog post at texaswinelover.com. Be sure to check out our archive section on the website for previous podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash TXWineLover. Plus, we are also on Twitter. Please subscribe to the podcast either on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Join us next time for another episode of the Texas Wine Lover Podcast. Thank you.